toward the finish. And you've probably heard there's a popular saying that goes like this, life is about the journey. Anyone ever hear that? You know, life's about the journey. Okay, well, uh, you know, I'm okay with that. Life's about the journey. But you know what? It's also about the destination. I actually want to arrive. You want to arrive where God is taking us. And I'll give you just a fun example of what we're going to be talking about today. Because a couple years ago, a guy uh, here locally... In fact, his wife, his name is Ron Fugelsef. His wife was my son's kindergarten teacher. And Ron made this incredible video that had to do with the toy that belonged to his son, Jaden. It was a little toy train named Stanley. And one day Ron says to his son, hey, how about we send Stanley to space? Like for real. And Jaden's like, well, you know, they're inseparable. You're going to send my little toy to space. But hey, this is my daddy. So I've got nothing to worry about. Let's do it. Well, you may have seen this a couple years ago because this went completely viral. But it's so good, it's worth seeing again. Check this out. It's like the greatest father-son project I've ever seen in my life. I have to be honest, when I first saw that, I, I, my, my first response was, that's really cool, but man, as a dad, 
such a loser. I mean, I've never done anything remotely like that in my life. I'm sorry, Luke. I deprived you of that kind of adventure. In fact, the first time I showed this, it was at a men's retreat, and when the lights came back up, there's a man standing in the back with his hand up. I wasn't really anticipating a Q&A session after this little clip. And I said, yes, sir. And he's like, uh, did he get FAA approval for doing that? I'm thinking, I'm so glad you got caught up in the wonder of it all, sir. It's just <laughs> I think it was an accountant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chad started it. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, he did get FAA approval, and also Stanley's features were not real, uh, but everything else was completely real and truthful about that. It's just an incredible example of how God takes Paul on this amazing, unexpected journey that has so many harrowing moments, and yet he is going to land him safely in Rome as promised, and yesterday we saw after being just lost and tossed at sea for two weeks, the ship runs aground right in the surf zone, and all 276 people on board are saved. And the question is, now what? <laughs> you know, they're tired, they're, they're cold, they're beat up. On, on one hand, they're happy to be on this sandy beach. On the other hand, they have no idea where they're at. Oh, one more thing. Did you know this was actually Paul's fourth shipwreck he says in second corinthians 11 that he had been shipwrecked three times but he very likely wrote that prior to this event in his life and so if paul invited you to go anywhere on a ship any of you are you down for that not me i'm like dude you're on your own here reminds me of a guy named roy sullivan roy was a park ranger and he holds the world record this guy right here for being struck by lightning seven times in his life. He's the human lightning rod, so much so that the Park Service actually made a commercial about Roy Sullivan. Here it is. Meet Roy Sullivan, Park Ranger. That means a life devoted to nature. Maybe didn't see that one. So I guess Roy'd be forgiven for holding a grudge against Mother Nature. But what's your excuse, friend? <laughs> I like the guy wheeling you back away from him in the wheelchair. <laughs> that's, that's me when Paul says you want to go sailing. <laughs> it's no wonder Paul writes about weakness more than anyone else in the New Testament. I mean, he just had a lot of first-hand experience. But at the same time, he also knew what it was like to receive strength from God in difficult moments. And my prayer for us today and going forward is that you will receive strength from the Lord by his grace and by the power of his spirit 
to press on towards the finish line of your life. And there is three ways that God does that in today's passage. And the first one goes like this. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. I will receive strength to press on when God brings purpose out of my pain. It's when you see the larger redemptive purposes in the difficult times of life that you experience healing and even joy. Picking up the story at the beginning of Acts 28, it says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Uh, this statue that exists today commemorates Paul's shipwreck uh, and visitation, the time he spent on Malta, his ministry there. And Malta was named by Phoenician sailors. It means refuge, which is exactly what it turned out to be for Paul and his companions. And it, Luke is kind of like amazed at how hospitable these, these Maltese people are. He's just like, wow, this is so amazing. They build us a bonfire, and they didn't actually like try to put all our companions on the bonfire, so that's a good start. And so Paul, ever willing to help out, it says at verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. You're like, are you serious? <laughs> he's, he's enjoying the fire for two whole minutes when this viper is fastened to his hand. And Luke uses this medical term to describe how, how the, the viper is fastened, which is something you can do when it's not fastened to your hand, right? Oh, look at that. How interesting. A snake is hanging from his hand. But it says, verse 4 and 5, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. How studly is that? So Paul's like, yeah, I've been through worse. <laughs> Reminds me of Clint Eastwood in this moment. I, this is Paul in my mind's eye where he just, you know, gets some tobacco spit, just spits on the snake and goes, where were we, boys? And it just, just moves on. It says the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. One minute he's a murderer, the next he's a god. But you know what? If you think about it, uh, this is a popular notion in, in our society, maybe not on these extremes, but it has to do with, you know, what goes around comes around. You kind of get what you deserve. It's, it's really karma. And it's oppressive because I got news for you. You don't want to get what you deserve. In fact, Christ got what you deserve. And that's the wondrous truth of the gospel. But again, Christians can fall into this kind of superstitious thinking because it's so pervasive in our culture. And I've heard, I don't know how many people over the years go, you know, all this bad stuff's happening to me. God must be mad at me. God's doing some major payback. He's taking me out to the woodshed to teach me a lesson. Yeah, does sometimes, does God discipline his children? Yes, scripture says that. Other times, do we reap the consequences of our decisions? Absolutely. But often, it's simply the fact, as scripture says, that we are living in a world that is 
broken and corrupted by sin. And so bad things are going to happen to everybody. There are no exceptions. But here's the good news. God doesn't allow our pain to be wasted. God does some of his most marvelous work when he takes something painful and brings beauty from those ashes up. And he redeems those who mourn. Watch out. God's going to do that with the shipwreck and the misery, the snake bite, all of it, because he wants uh, Paul to have an impact on the lives of these folks. It says, first of all, he's got like an instant audience, right? Because they, they think he's a god. And then verses of 7 through 9, it says, There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. And so this amazing ministry just springs up over here. People are flocking to Paul and you have to know that he's telling them about Jesus. He's healing them in the name of Jesus. And it's not just Paul. Because you see where it says that the rest of the sick on the island came and they were cured. That word cured there, we get our word therapy from that. And it has the connotation of caring for someone over the course of time. And so there's Aristarchus as well. And he's praying. He's ministering to people. There's Luke offering his specialized skills to people. I don't think that all of the healing was just supernatural. I think Luke is, God is going to use everything that the, these men are equipped to do in this moment. And they have amazing success. And why? Because they're only going to be on Malta for a certain amount of time. There's a window of opportunity but it's not going to be there forever. Who knows how long it's going to be before other Christian leaders are back on this island. And so God leverages it for, for everything it, it, it can be. And you know what? It, for me, that's instructive because life is full of these windows of opportunities. And they're open for some time. In fact, I would venture to say that we are in a tremendous, we have been in a tremendous opportunity during this pandemic where there is openness to the things of Jesus, that th that opportunity is, is going to change. And the more things get back to so-called normal, the more normal attitudes will begin to prevail. And don't miss this. Because you think of what all that's going on at Malta in this passage right here. If it had just been smooth sailing for Paul and Luke and the rest, completely uneventful trip, none of it would have happened. None of it. All of those plagues. And so, don't miss this. In fact, uh, there's a key to God bringing purpose out of my pain, and it's this. It's about being willing to serve. Being willing to serve, even in the midst of it. Paul and his friends, they didn't just retreat into a cave. And of course, there's a time and a place for rest and restoration. But these guys, man, they just spring into action and they are ministering to people 
out of a, a, a heart of obedience. And can you just imagine, I picture them at the end of a long day, and they're tired, and they're sitting back, and they're, they're, they're looking at each other going, man, think of if we had never been shipwrecked. All these people that we've come to know and love, we never would have had time with them. And the same is true in our lives. In fact, I want you to think about this. The most powerful ministries that we will have to other people will inevitably come out of things we would not have chosen. I know this to be true in my own life. One of the times I, I learned this in a very significant way was when our second son, Joseph, was stillborn about two and a half weeks before we expected him to be born. And you learn in moments like that that you become part of a fellowship of other people who have had similar losses. There's little... There's a language, you might say, that you learn. And I, if you would have asked it before that, hey, Mark, would you like to be enrolled in kind of a, a new ministry to people who have had either miscarriages, couples that have miscarriages or stillbirths? Would you like to sign up for that? I said, no, I don't want to sign up for that at all. But that's exactly what happened. And we began in the months and years later and have now countless times come alongside couples that have gone through a similar experience. And in those moments, we have a credibility that you can't get from a book with them. You can only get it by going through that kind of experience. Rick Warren puts it this way. Other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest Rick and Kay Warren have learned this personally over many years. How has God used you? How would God use you in the context of your own? Again, this is where bitterness gets us stuck because we just, we just self-pity is one of the biggest traps there is. Why me? Where are you, God? And as long as we're stuck in that self-pity, we will be very unlikely to ask, but what would you have me do in the midst of this pain? How might I glorify and serve you, even in a circumstance that I never would have chosen? We'll also receive strength, not only from a sense of purpose and redemption, but we'll have strength to press on when God brings encouragement in unexpected places. That's the second thing that we see in this text. Continuing at verse 10, he says of the people on Malta, they honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. I mean, they just pulled out all the stops and had to be so encouraging. And I think I actually experienced something like this a couple years ago. There's a retired pastor at Twin Lakes Church. His name is Ben Murata. He was a pastor in the Philippines for many, many years, Filipino national. And when he turned 80, he invited a number of us over to his house to celebrate his 80th birthday. And not a whole lot 
of people were flocking, and so I don't know, I felt codependent. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go swing by Pastor Ben's house for maybe 30, 40 minutes and then go do whatever I think I need to be doing after that. Well, that just shows how ignorant I was of Filipino culture and hospitality. Because I knocked on the door, and when uh, the woman who opened the door uh, said, oh, Pastor Mark, immediately there's Pastor Ben. And he ushers me in, and he's just so, he's smiling. He's the warmest human being you could ever meet. And he goes, oh, we're just about to have the meal, Pastor Mark, and he, let me get you a plate. He grabs a plate, and he, he brings me to this table, this huge table. It's got, like, every food group imaginable in space. There's probably 12, 14 different entrees, beef, fish, chicken, some things. I didn't know what it was, but it all looked delicious. In fact, in the center, there was a pig, a suckling pig, kind of like we had last night. And so he's taking him around, giving me a sample, explaining, well, this is what this is. And I'm just saying, load it up, Pastor Ben. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's his birthday. He's serving me. And we get over to this pig, and I see the pulled pork section. I'm like, oh, yeah, that looks good. But all of a sudden, this woman, she rushes in, and she says, oh, Pastor Mark, we have a very special part of the pig for you. And she whips out a knife, and she slices this this strip of skin right off the back of this pig and it's kind of rubbery on one side and kind of spatty on the other side and I'm saying oh you know I'm really not worthy of this special <laughs> skin slice um, surely Pastor Ben may I get you a plate <laughs> but you know when in Rome you do what you do I have to say that was probably the best and only skin slice I'd ever ever eaten like that but three and a half hours later, they're loading me up with food and gifts as I'm walking to my car. It was his birthday. I felt like the guest of honor the entire time. I had stinky suspicion that's the way Paul and his companions felt when they left Malta. Honored and fully furnished. But the encouragement doesn't end there. It says in verse 11 and beyond, after three months, we put out to sea. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up. Remember, that got them in trouble last time. And on the following day, we reached Puccioli. We have another child I'm going to name him Puccioli, but I digress. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And it's, ama it's amazing because they don't even, they get to Puccioli and there's people that are Christians. They, they don't even know these people. They just found them, as Luke says. I mean, it turns into a week-long party. Probably looked a, like, looked a lot like, you know, being at Pastor Ben's house or something like that. It's a great time. More encouragement. And then, drum roll, drum roll please. Come on, drum roll on your lap. Come on, come on, do it. Here we go. Here we go. Louder, louder, louder. Verse 14, it says, and so we came to brothers and sisters that had heard we were coming, had heard we were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum, of, uh, the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. I bet he was. I want you to check out this map of Paul's journey. Remember, he started out on the right side. They left Caesarea, and it says that with great 
difficulty with the wind blowing against them. They made it to a fair haven, so then when they tried to get into a slightly better harbor at Phoenix, that's when they get blown off course, and they are adrift until they reach the island of Malta. Did you know that it is 474 miles from Fair, or from fair Haven to Malta. That's the distance of San Francisco to Tijuana, Mexico. That is quite a journey when you have no idea where you're going. Amazing. And not only that, but you know, it says that you know, after those three months in Malta, they practically sailed downhill to Italy. I mean, they just kind of get there in, in record time. And when they get to the Forum of Appius, this welcome party starts to form. These people have traveled. They've walked on foot 43 miles from Rome. It's 33-mile walk from, uh, what's our other spot there? Mm, I forgot the name of it. It's the other spot. Fair, not Fairhaven. Help me out. Thank you. The three taverns. I'm a pastor. I don't think about taverns. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and who would think, who would think that a prisoner like Paul would enter with his own parade like a conquering hero? Can you imagine them just singing out, worshiping as they walk into Rome? It's incredible. But again, there's a key step because if, I'm, if God is going to bring encouragement in unexpected places, I got to be willing to go, right? You know, the adventure doesn't start sometimes until you step out your front door. And whether God leads me across the street to reach out to a neighbor, across town, around the globe, you have to be willing to go or God calls you, right? And I'll be honest with you, I have to learn this every single time I speak outside my comfort zone. When I'm speaking at Twin Lakes, it's like my living room. I'm so comfortable. And yet, anything beyond, beyond that, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of an introvert. I, I love being at home. I could spend a week in my backyard just kind of, you know, putting around, be totally happy. And so even Sunday, I was excited to be here this week. I was praying for you. And yet, Sunday afternoon, packing my bags, oh, here's my car, drive 25 minutes to get to the Mount of Hermon. I know you're like, geez, that's such a whoop. And then, of course, I get here, and all the things that God does in my heart and life, and, and this, the joy of this week with you. But again, none of that would have happened if I just said, no, I'm just going to stay in my backyard. Mike, I can't get there. I'm sorry. I can't leave. Now, we all do this in various ways. But we know God's calling us. But whether it's because of the way we're wired or our fear or we're just so busy, we, we find ways at times to just call it off. And we miss out on the adventure that God has for us. I will receive strength when he brings purpose out of my pain. When I find encouragement in unexpected places. And finally, when I when I know that I'm receiving eternal rewards 